going to come to my message for this evening, and um, it's found in Romans chapter 12. And uh, in, in many ways, it's a new series that I'm beginning, but it, this series is part of a bigger series. <laughs> Let me explain. I believe that God is bringing us into times of renewal. And uh, for quite some time, we have a we have been believing God that there's a new move of his spirit coming. And I'm not just saying this that uh, because preachers like to say, you know, something mighty and exciting is coming around the corner and it's always around the corner. And it's so much around the corner drives you around the bend. No, I believe very, very clearly that God has times of refreshing, seasons of renewal for his church right up until the second coming of Jesus to prepare his bride. And every one of those moves, the moves of God's spirit will be uh, moves of repentance. In which we get closer to Jesus. Moves of renewal in which we are renewed, especially in our mind and in our thinking and in our understanding, because it's so important to be renewed in your mind so that you can be transformed from the inside out. There'll also be times of restoration. God will be restoring to the church the glory that God has. And he said he is going to get glory to his name through the church. So now is not the time to be leaving the churches. Now is not the time to be giving up on this. Now is the time to be closer in Christian community than ever before. And during this time of lockdown, we've seen a renewal of Christian fellowship. We've seen also a reformation. And that's another word that we're looking to, reformation, where even the Archbishop of Canterbury, who has, you would think, vested interests in looking at all the fine historical places of worship that the Anglican Church has. And indeed, many of the, the great churches have these great buildings which are of historic interest and, and are magnificent buildings. But he said, do you know what? When it comes down to it, those buildings are not really necessary because the early church met in homes. And we have a cell vision which 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 copies many ways some of the principles of the New Testament, applies them in small group gatherings. And right now, as I speak, London, there's a network of small groups belonging to Kensington Temple, London City Church. These are cell groups and we're taking care of each other. The work of the church goes on. Now, during this time of coronavirus, and I agree with Roberts, as he was sharing with us earlier, that this is a time of wake up and idols are toppling. Yes, so they are. And so the idols of organized, structured, institutional religion, because what's taking over now is relational Christianity. When we are in relationship with Jesus and with each other and we want to see great changes come to what it means to be church in people's understanding, how we express that in renewed lifestyle, in renewed relationships, in renewed community, so that while buildings, we're very glad to get back to being able to use them again, but they're not the essence of this move of God. Now, the move of God that has and is being prophesied has been described like this. It will be quite unlike anything we've ever seen. Well, those words ring true to me because we are now living in times quite unlike we've ever seen or known. God alone knows how deeply people are seeking God during this time of coronavirus lockdown. It could be that straight after the 
it's all over, or at least we're able to get about our business. Everybody will go around business as usual. I hope that will not happen. I hope we will not go back to business as usual in any part of society. I would love to see the community spirit that we have continue where people are talking to their neighbors and people are enjoying helping one another and serving one another. This is a true spirit of community. And that comes from God. God is community. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And every expression of community or family or as expression of togetherness, that is an expression of God's heart. And we want to see more of it. But I also believe that during this time, which is quite unlike any other time we've been through, there will be some unique features. One of them is drawing closer to Jesus than ever before. Now, Romans chapter 12, I invite you to turn to it. You're following with me, and I'll come to reading it in a moment. Romans chapter 12, I've based much of the series of Times of Renewal on this. And uh, I just want to recap some of it today in in the earlier parts of the series. Uh, It starts with present your bodies, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. And this is talking about the reality of the physical life. Present your bodies. This is physical life, physical obedience. Yes, a spiritual relationship, but it is lived out in the here and now. It is lived out in physical bodies. It's lived out with physical obedience. And our relationship with God has to be real and physical and practical. And this is so important. It's not just what we dream and scheme about. It's not just what we imagine with our minds. This is reality, and and spiritual reality is as real as physical reality. Then the passage goes on in chapter 12, verse 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This talks about the transformational journey of discovery and revelation and experience of who you really are. Your new self is your true self, your authentic self. And so the Apostle Paul in this passage goes on to say, yep, present your bodies, realize that there's a transformation coming. And here's one of the first marks of it. He goes on to talk about using your spiritual gifts, serving one another. The grace of God in you is linked to the grace of God through you as you love and serve your neighbor. Your natural gifts, which we could say is part of God's common grace. Have you ever wondered how, let's say, a a beautiful singer like some of the singers we've been hearing tonight, or an opera singer or a sporting personality or somebody with a brilliant mind? You, you, You see, you know they're gifted. And you can tell that gift has come from God. It is, it's natural, but it's so special that it almost is supernatural. That's what we call common grace. God gives these gifts to everybody, different people, different ways. And maybe today, even if you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you know that you are gifted. I want to tell you that gift comes from God. You are gifted by God and you are a gift from God. You are a gift of God to us. That's why we want you to get saved so you can come in and and share your spiritual gifts with us. Because when you come to Christ, your natural gifts are superseded by supernatural manifestations of God himself. 
And this is what's so special. Have you ever wondered why, what's so different? You give, you give something to, to somebody else. It might be some food. It might be some words of kindness. And we're seeing a lot of that around our neighbors. We're seeing people, whoever they're atheists, whatever religion they are or no religion, they are being kind to each other. And that is from God. But when we do it as believers, there is something transcendent about it. There is something supernatural about it. Why? Number one, it's done for the Lord. It's not done just out of mere human compassion. And the milk of human kindness is milk that should be drunk and given more often. I agree. I agree. But there is something more than mere human kindness. When we do it unto the Lord, it becomes a gift from God in which we learn that all good things come from God. We do it in his name. So we lift our eyes higher. We don't look at the donor. We look at the God who breaks provision for us all. And so when you do it for God and do it from a heart of Christian love, you are exhibiting the love of Christ in a way that takes people out of their natural world and gives them a supernatural understanding that God is love and he is going to come and rescue all of us from this world of which is which is susceptible to coronavirus and all other viruses and susceptible to all other all other kinds of brokenness. Yes, it's a beautiful world, but it's also a broken world. And there is a story there that this broken world, which was broken by sin, in which this very world in its brokenness reflects the brokenness of our own human hearts and and the need and emptiness within and the groaning and longing for something better than this. And when we realize that that comes from God, this longing, it means he's going to satisfy it. You're longing for something better. You're longing for something more beautiful. You're longing for, for times when there'll be no pain, no crying, no dying, no shame, and no sin. You're longing for that. And God is putting that longing in all of our hearts because it comes from him. And do you know what? He is going to answer that longing. When Jesus Christ returns, it is going to be a new world that he creates it recreates new heavens and a new earth. And that is where the future is. And that is where our hope is. But in the meantime, we live out of physical obedience, sharing God's gifts with one another. So now all of that brings us right down to the passage that I am speaking about tonight. And here it is in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. What I gave you was a summary of the first eight verses or so. But now, verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We're going to stop there. And I, I was tempted to take us throughout the whole of that passage and make four very strong points. And the first point is genuine love. The next point that was is coming up, not just about authentic love, but about authentic passion and then authentic compassion and then authentic assertiveness. But instead of giving you a very long message with all of those long points, what I've decided to do is break it down into smaller chunks. So tonight I'll deal with that first thing. And then over the next few weeks, as God leads, I'll deal with the other. So you can relax. It'll be a shorter message, 
but we will come back to it on future occasions. So walking in the newness of who you are, that's what this series is about. It's part of the series, also times of renewal. And we, God is calling us to a life of repentance in which we learn to walk in our true identity, walking in the newness of who we are. And so, first of all, the first message is that of love. Now, I'm I'm talking not just about love, but authentic love. Can you see, he says, let love be genuine. So that shows that there's some things that pass as love, but are not real, genuine love. Now, uh, the Bible has many different words for love, and there are different kinds of love, brotherly love, uh, um, uh, friendship, uh, sexual love, romantic love. All of these things are good and blessed by God. But what we're talking about here is a love that transcends those kinds of loves. And one of the problems today is, is that we so, we so misdefine love. We don't understand what love is. Our society doesn't understand what love is. They think that love has nothing whatsoever to do with truth. That if we, if we, if we love one another, then tolerance means that there, there are no rules to follow or there's no boundaries. Or well, love has boundaries. Love works best within boundaries. But more importantly, love must be genuine. And so genuine love. Now, um, the subtext, and here is, here is the real point I want to get across to you tonight, and we'll come back to it from time to time. Here it is. Uh, authentic love means that you have to learn to hate what you used to love and learn to love what you used to hate. All right? Now, that sounds impossible. And for many people, as we present the challenge of the gospel to them, they say, well, there's no way. I hate this this, this so-called God of your Bible. I hate the Bible. The Bible seems so judgmental. Maybe there's some good things. But anyway, I hate it. It's so unreliable. Uh, and, and this lifestyle of morality and purity, I hate it. And, you know, this whole business about serving and, and, and bowing the knee to God. I don't want to bow the knee to God. I don't want to bow the knee to anybody. I hate that idea. Worship, worship God. What this megalomaniac that says, adore me, adore me. Well, let me tell you, friends, that you will come to learn to love worship. What you now hate, you will love. And and more than that, what, what you used to hate, you will now learn to love. And what you used to love, you'll now you will learn to hate. This is the new you. When you look back on your life and you see the empty way of life that you have lived, the fruitless way of life, what has it brought you? Yep, you have integrity as an individual. You have free will as an individual. You are making your choices and maybe you are proud of your choices because they're at least your choices. And I'm with you in that. God wants you to make your choices, but he wants you to make better choices. He wants you to make choices based on love, real love. And by that, I don't just mean the love that we sometimes talk about that passes off as love. And you can see it's not really love at all. Um, selfish love. People love you for selfish reasons. You know, some people, you just do anything nice for them. They say, what do you want? What are you trying to get out of me? Some people are so used to being used that anybody shows any kind of love or affection or kindness, it must be because they want something want something from you. No, no, no. That's selfish love. Then there's a possessive kind of love. 
you know, uh, the kind of love that says, I have to possess you, take you over completely. And, and if I can't have you, nobody else will have you. It's this kind of possessive love, which is not, as you can see, it's not a good love. It's not a pure love. It's not a noble love. Then there's that kind of controlling love. And parents can often mistake their desire to control their children as love. It is not loving to seek to control anybody. Now, there's things that we would like to change. There's things that we'd like to see our children grow up into. But we can't control them in order to do that. Yes, we can discipline them. We can nurture them. But the real change must come from inside. The decision to be who uh, that you would like them to be has to be their decision. And they have to decide for themselves. Then there's a kind of selective love. Oh, yes, I'll love these people because they're from my community. And I'll hate those people because they are against my community. You know, and this happens all over the place. And one of the things I want to be able to do is to bring together Christian communities and non-Christian communities and help them be a little more tolerant of each other. We hear a lot of preaching about how Christians are intolerant against certain communities and non-Christian groups. And that requires repentance on our part. But also, the moment you do, the moment you put yourself into a little community and define yourself by your little identity, whatever it is, male, female, or whatever it is, or, or black, white, or, or, or Christian or non-Christian, whatever, however you start to define yourself as against, over against the other, then you have broken one of the fundamental principles of humanity. We are here to understand one another and we can help one another and I can be challenged by your views. You can be challenged by my views. But let us remember that in all things, love is the ability to love everybody indiscriminately and to be good and kind to all in a selfless way. So love is is ill-defined in today's world. And I'm sure uh, you, you will have many examples of that for yourself. So how would we better define love? I think the Bible makes it clear here. It says, let love be genuine. Then it says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. To abhor what is evil. That's part of love. Did you know that? Love is, is, is not um, something which is outside of truth, outside of right. And wrong, the very concept of love carries within it an inherent concept of right and wrong. If you love, you love the right thing. And that doesn't mean to say that you do not hate. Of course, you don't hate people, but you hate evil. You love righteousness and you hate evil. You love what is right and you hold fast to what is good. You abhor what is evil. So the love is defined by right and wrong. So a lot of people say, no, no, love is nothing to do with right and wrong. The only thing right is you to love me. And if you love me, you can't say I'm wrong about anything. Listen, I can love you and disagree with your lifestyle. Oh, yes, I can. You can love me and disagree with some of the things I believe. Yes, you can. But the truth is we have to go beyond those feelings of love and worldly definitions of love and understand that love holds on to truth. So it is about truth. And the agape love of God, which is the special Greek word that describes the love that I'm talking about, is the love that bestows blessings on the other unconditionally. God is good. <laughs> yes, it is. That's true. God is good. Now, if God is good, 
then uh, he is the definition of good because he is the ultimate good. So when we talk about love, that's why you can say love one another because love is of God and God is love. Notice the Bible doesn't say that love is God. If you say love is God, then any kind of love that you can come up with or that we can experience must be godly. And we know that isn't true. We've seen selfish love, possessive love, controlling love, selective love. No, no, no. Those things aren't godly. So we have to start with God. God is love. And if God is love, not that love is God, but if God is love, then that God who is also truth is the God who can direct us to love in the right kind of a way. And so this is something we need to think about. When you talk about loving somebody, you really love somebody, you want the best for that person. But what is the best? Not your view, not your opinion. There is nothing more frightening than somebody who does something to you because they think it is good for you. No, no, I don't want you to do what you think is good for me. What I want to be able to know is what God says is good for me. And together we can move in the direction of that good, the ultimate good, who is God. So love is pursuing the good that is God, the good that comes from God and the love that comes from him as well. And so in this way, we have to redefine some of our concepts of what is good and what isn't good. You know, uh, the Passion Bible translates a part of the Lord's Prayer like this. And it says, having said, our Father who dwells in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. May the glory of your name be the center around which our lives turn. In other words, our whole life revolves around the glory of the name of God. And that is, the, is a description of somebody who's turned away from self-centeredness and making themselves, their ideas, their beliefs, their choices, their thoughts, their ways of living uh, and, and saying, right, I am prepared to understand that there is a God who created me for something better than this and he has remade me and therefore my new self is my true self and this self is a self that revolves around the God who created me, who knows how I best function and who wants the fullness and satisfaction that only he can give to penetrate my heart. Oh, this is, this is quite powerful, isn't it? And to discover what this means, we need to go back to Adam and Eve and do a little bit of contrasting here. Remember the serpent and the nakash, which is the Hebrew word for this uh, angelic being, for this divine being, this, this, this uh, 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 supernatural being that was in the garden, not a snake. Snakes don't talk. He had the appearance, serpentine appearance, but that, that nakash tempted Eve and, and, and Eve looked at the fruit, the fruit that God said, don't, don't, don't eat that. That is the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that. Don't eat of that. Um, and, and the woman saw it. And through the subtle insinuations of the snake, the serpent, the nakash, she saw it through different eyes. First of all, she saw that fruit and she said, oh, it is pleasing to the eyes. It is good for food and it's desirable for making me wise. Pleasing to the eyes. It looks good. Uh, uh Good for food. It tastes good. It feels good. It tastes good. It looks good. It's got to be good. And it's desirable because it's going to make me wise. 
And the wisdom here that she was deceived into thinking was coming to her was not a wisdom that would bring life in correct order and bring fruit. It was going to bring death. It was going to bring destruction. Ultimately, it would, it would lead to coronavirus if you trace the history down. No, no, no. This was a de deception. She was deceived. The wisdom that she was embracing was a loss of innocence. She had not yet experienced the bad. She had not yet experienced the moral failure. She had not yet experienced sin. She'd experienced all the good things, but she hadn't experienced this. And the moment she did, and Adam also as well, then sin entered the world and then death through sin and, and has come upon all of us. This is the reality of the deception that Eve had. Now we need to be undeceived. So now what we looked at and thought, oh, that looks good. Have you ever thought about some of those things which we might call tempting? You look at them and say, oh, that looks so good. Wow, it's so pleasing. It's so desirable. It's so attractive. I want it. I want it. It's going to make me feel good. And, it's good. and if it makes me feel good, then I'm going to be good. This is good for me. It's good for food. And it's going to make me wise. In other words, it's going to satisfy me. Wisdom. It's going to be how I can live. Wisdom is knowing how to live so we get the best out of life. And so we look at those things and, and we begin to love them and crave after them. But that which our eyes saw, which we thought was good for food, which we thought was pleasing to the eyes and desirable. We have to learn to hate the things that we love because that is who you really are. You have been given the release of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, and now you see things the way God sees things. And the way God sees things is the truth because he is the truth and he is the ultimate reality. Don't argue with ultimate reality. You put yourself on the wrong side of ultimate reality. It is like somebody moving from the light to darkness. Friends, it is not the way to go. The Bible says that there is a way which seems right to us, but it ends in death. So we need to learn to hate what we used to love and learn to love what we used to hate. And that is more important, to, to pursue the things of Christ. And when you really find Christ, someone who is so attractive in such a way as, as you listen to his every words, you don't just say, oh, well, I like the Sermon on the Mount. Do you really? You like the Sermon on the Mount? You know that sermon, Jesus warned us about heaven and hell. There is a heaven and a hell. He warned us about that. He was so loving. He would tell you the truth about it. Oh, yes. Don't say, don't say Jesus is such a lovely teacher unless you're prepared to, to take his words. He says, blessed are the pure in spirit. Yes, he says, blessed are the poor. Also, the poor in spirit, not just the pure, but the pure of heart, but the poor in spirit. That means absolutely recognizing that you have nothing of yourself that will make yourself acceptable to God. And that of yourself, there is no hope. But Christ has come to not just give the teaching, but to be the Savior who lifts you up, who gives you a new life so that you can be totally set free and start this journey of discipleship and of faith. And so now we're talking not just about the gifts of the Spirit. We're talking about Christian character. Oh, yes, we are. Have you ever been confused when you've seen somebody who is, has all the appearance of being so holy, so spiritual? They're so nice in their public presentation. They're so gifted in their preaching or their, or their 
uh, other ministry. They, they appear to minister by the Holy Spirit, maybe with spiritual gifts, and they think it's absolutely amazing. But then you discover that their charisma is stronger than their character and that the gifts of the Spirit operate more than the fruit of the Spirit in that person's life. And that's how we can be very easily deceived when we see people who they look so wonderful, they sound so wonderful, they're full of smiles, they're full of love, they're full of joy. But actually, when you get a little bit closer and you see them in the off-duty moments and you see how they behave behind the scenes and you see what's going on in their hearts as you begin to discover more about them, then you're disillusioned. Well, I suppose we could all disillusion one another like that. But I want to tell you this. It's not just about your charisma. It's not just about your gifts. It's about your character. And we want to walk together as a body of Christ, as the church, as the community of God's people, so that the stuff that's going on in here, when we still love what we should be hating and we still hate what we should be loving, that's how we work together. That's how we help one another to, to encourage one another. And it happens when we drop all pretense and say, brothers and sisters, I need you in my life. I need you to pray for me. And I, and I know you need me. So together, let's go on. And that's why. The next point here is not just that for genuine love, but that we should show it to one another. Love one another. This is brotherly affection. Love one another. And it's important, of course, we should love everybody. But why, why especially love one another? Why now? Well, here Paul says, you better love your brother or your sister because you need them. You can't go to somebody who does not have the spirit and say, help me, help me. Well, there are times that I've been amazed at some of my friends who perhaps don't know Jesus Christ personally the way we do. But sometimes they will say something which is like a wisdom. And I think, you know what? They didn't ought to know this, but God can use anybody to speak into your life. But the people that he most wants to use uh, and for you to also to be used in developing them is your brothers and sisters. So that's where love is worked out in your family. And you don't choose your family, either your spiritual family or your natural family. And so brotherly love is so important. And it's also important because of this. Do you know it is one of the litmus tests that the world applies to check out whether we are genuine? Did you know that? And this is it. Jesus said that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? How? Because you wear badges? Because you live in or go to buildings with crosses on the top? Or because you refrain from this or refrain from that? No. If you have love one for the other. In the very early church, there were a lot of accusations being made against Christians, saying that they were their communion service was cannibalism. Because they were talking about having eating the body and blood of Jesus, but it was it was not literal. Of course, it was it's talking about feeding on Christ by faith, and there are all kinds of accusations that were being made against Christians, and 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 yet some of them said, "Yep, they're very weird, but see how they love one another." Let me just give you one example. Have you ever wondered why churches are surrounded by graveyards? <laughs> don't be don't be smart now. <laughs> Talk about dead church or anything like that. Or, you know, religion is deathly. No, 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 no. Do you know it goes right back 
to the very early days of Christianity, when they were able to get plots of ground and later on when they also began to have their own church buildings, they were uh, uh, bringing people into the church ground so that they could be buried there because they couldn't afford regular burial grounds. The church took them in, even, even the dead, they, they took them in. And if you go down throughout history, you see that the genuine church of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about the institutional stuff. I'm not talking about all that, all that political, highly elevated, developed stuff, which is all about wealth and, and not about the poverty of spirit that Jesus spoke about. In, in You go back and you will see that the Christians down through the years in the Great Plague, even now in coronavirus, a bit more secular about the way they present things but we find in hospitals everywhere believers doing good things and sharing their food and caring for one another now wait a bit i'm not saying that the world isn't doing this in fact we have to work pretty hard pretty hard to keep up the world in the world's desire for good deeds but we don't do it as a good deed we don't do it to make ourselves feel good we don't do it to show off we don't do it that we can uh, somehow show that we deserve to be respected in society or that we should somehow attain to god because of our good deeds no we by love and so god says make sure that the first sphere of your love the first arena of love the first theater of love is the genuine love that's expressed to one another as brothers and sisters that's why it is such a serious thing when we start to criticize one another and when we start to bring division to one another spread lies about one another or discourage one another or or, or judge one another all those things are so wrong and when the world sees it they sit back and say there can't be anything in this christian business look at the way they behave oh no god wants a revolution he wants a complete turnaround and this is what's going to happen in this new move of god we're going to find people loving one another like they've never loved one another before we're going to find that there's going to be some genuine authentic expression of the love of christ and now nearly finished the final part here is outdo one another in showing honor <laughs> I love this. Do you know, one of the things that we have to fight more than anything else um, in the Christian ministry, and by that I mean the kind of stuff that I do, the things that I do, you know, as a preacher, teacher, somebody who, who, who is called, as it were, to do that at leadership level. We're all ministers, we're all preachers, we're all teachers, but you know exactly what I mean. One of the things we have to fight is jealousy. Oh, yes. Jealousy, pride, yes and competition competitiveness my 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 and it's not even friendly sometimes the competition and you know i want to declare to you right now on this live stream i have no competitors in the ministry only colleagues no competitors i'm not trying to compete with anybody uh, and, and 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 yet here there is a competition that we must enter are you ready to enter a competition and it says, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, that's wonderful. You want, you want to compete? <laughs> then compete this way. I heard a story many, many years ago. And I think it's a true story. I respect the person who told it. Um, and it was like this. There were two sisters in a local church assembly. And they decided to have a competition. And what was their competition? To see who could be the most humble. 
<laughs> that was the competition. Now, I don't know if that actually got anywhere or got any 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 good came out of that. I don't know because, you know, yeah, if you say, oh, I'm a humble than you are. No, I'm more humble than you are. And before you know where you are, you're so proud that you're humble. But here's a genuine competition. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I'm not talking about the pulpit courtesies. I'm talking about genuine honor, one of the other. And as we learn to honor one another, the Holy Spirit comes. This is an expression of love. And so stop dishonoring your brothers. Stop judging your sisters. Learn to honor one another. Elevate them and apprise them and, and treat them with value. Treat them with respect. And this is a culture of honor has got to come back to the church of Jesus Christ. And, you know, it, it, sometimes the way I hear Christians talk to one another, talk about one another, the way I hear ministers talk to one another, talk about one another, God have mercy on us all. It is time we put down those deeds of darkness and actually began to build one another up with our words. I, I know that sometimes we do need to receive criticism. And we do need to exercise certain forms of critical judgment in order to bring correction. And I know all that. But in the spirit of honoring one another, brothers and sisters, let us learn what it means truly to honor one another. Because that is what walking in love is all about. And so what are we saying today? I'm saying that you can walk in the positive path of personal renewal, growing in your character not just in your gifting. And God is calling us to ever increasing depths of repentance in which we become more like Christ because we are pursuing him above everything else. God's blessings are on the way, but we must be ready to walk in humility and lowliness of heart, love one another, forgive one another and honor one another. God bless us as we seek to do these things. Okay, let me pray right now as we as we come together to finish this service. Father, we thank you for your path that you've calling us to walk on. Thank you, Lord, that you've recreated us and made us new so that now we can learn to hate what we used to love and love what we used to hate. And most important of all, Father, we pray that you'll enable us to walk in love in the true, genuine purity of loving God first and loving our neighbor as ourselves. This is your will. This is your word in Jesus name. Amen and amen.